You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Off of a weekend that had a little bit of everything and a whole lot of nutty controversy about a fight that's now not going to happen, we are back in on the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast. I am merely TJ Reeves, bowing to the existence of our insider Dan Rayfield, who bounced back off the bet U.S. gambling show, not one, not two, what did I count, at least three correct predictions off the show. Thank you very much, Danny Garcia, decision win. Uh, thank you very much, Gan Gary Antoine Russell, uh, victory very much uh, over uh, on the round total in the Garcia fight, as well as taking the decision. So you did much better than my one for four weekend uh, this weekend on that show. A lot to get to with that Showtime PBC card in Brooklyn. It had a lot of action. It had controversy. It had some different stuff going on in the fight, including another three blind mice judge. Uh, from the main event that Dan is ready to come out with two hands figuratively. So stand by on that. Always good to be with you, my friend. Uh, by the way, have you heard from Haseem Rahman again in the last 10 or 15 minutes before I hit the record button? Are you and he still going back and forth or is that delayed now that we're doing the podcast? How's it going? I assume you're talking about junior. Yeah. And the answer is no. And look, I, I have nothing. We'll get into it, but I've got nothing. I've Listen, I first met Haseem Rahman junior when he was a kid, like a young right. boy at the side of his father when I was covering his dad's fight. So I have nothing uh, bad to say about Rockman as a person. I, I have a very, everybody who's ever followed me, knows me, knows I have had for 20 plus years, a soft spot in my heart for his old man, who I like a lot, have known for a long time, and have always had a very friendly relationship with. And, uh, you know, we'll get into it. All right, that is coming in a little bit because Paul Rockman Jr. is not coming. And not only is that fight not coming, the whole card is OFF off. And the most ironic part uh, of that cancellation, and we'll say this again, I'm cruising along on my Saturday night. We had gone and done some stuff. I'm getting ready for the Showtime card. And I, I saw you responding to somebody about the fight being off. And I'm like, is Rayfield joking around? No, Rayfield's not joking around. The fight is off. And I'm looking at Showtime, and they're showing the all-access preview, the 30-minute documentary preview, which by design was to lead into the pay, the uh, the Showtime fight card. And I'm like, how how bananas is this? How nutbag crazy is this that the fight is now canceled? Showtime even announced on the YouTube broadcast prior to coming on the air on Showtime networks. They were <clears throat> showing for free the preliminary the fight is off, but now we're showing because it's locked in. There's nothing they can do. It's computerized or whatever. They're they're showing the documentary all access preview. Listen, for a not, fight that ain't happening. That's a crazy Saturday night right there. Before we got in the ring, Dan Rayfield. And not to digress too much because we'll get into the yes. cancellation of that event. But it reminded me, and I know exactly what you're talking about as far as the all access first episode coming on right before the uh, yeah. main Showtime card that night in terms of the non YouTube but the network card. I had flashbacks to when HBO showed 
uh, countdown to Vitaly Klitschko, Hasim Rockman on HBO. And then that fight on that same day or the day before or the day after, whatever it was, within within hours of that show airing, that fight was canceled. Rockman's father was that fight was canceled, not because of Rockman, because that was when Vitaly Klitschko uh, was suffering from a back injury and a knee injury that caused him to pull out of that mandatory title defense. And he ended up retiring for like four years. <laughs> and it was the same scenario. The, the preview show for this event had shown on HBO and had to be, you know, they had to cancel the replays because Rockman and, and Klitschko yeah. was off. So it was yeah. sort of, it, it reminded me of that because it was the same scenario of a show airing to preview an event canceled on the same day. And just so happened that it was Rockman in one fight many years ago and his son makes me feel old, but his son now yeah. in the present fight. So uh, by the way, not to compare uh, Jake Paul, Hasim Rockman Jr. to the caliber of a fight of, Vitaly Klitschko versus Hasim Rockman Jr., which was a major, major heavyweight championship fight. All right. Yeah, very true. The only other thing I could think of, and then we're moving on to boxing, I'm sure, is this was bizarre in the college football world. And I realize not everybody that's listening to us is necessarily in the United States or understands all this, but we're big into American sports, American college football. So there's a college football coach who's just, look, he's he's one of the biggest jerks that's out there in coaching named Bobby Petrino. Bobby Petrino is mistreated all kinds of people, all kinds of players at the college and the pro level. So he was on his second go around at the University of Louisville. He had been a college coach with them, had been a college coach uh, with Arkansas. He'd been an NFL coach with the Atlanta Falcons, blah, blah, blah. Fired or leaving everywhere he'd been. So they were having a bad couple of seasons. At the end of the bad second season of two bad seasons, he's on the verge of being fired. The rumors are everywhere that he's being fired. And they would traditionally tape his coach's show, like most of them, either late Saturday night or early Sunday morning to run on Sunday morning to recap the previous game or whatever. Well, in this case, the rumors are everywhere that he's getting fired. He hasn't been fired yet. He ends up taping the show, the local Louisville television show that they also put online. And then he gets called in by the brass, the president and the athletic director to be fired later on that Sunday morning. And they are showing the Bobby Petrino television show, recapping the loss with his sour puss on the TV, down in the mouth, you know, already bad to deal with anyway, but he's mad because they lost, he may be fired. And they're showing them on the show and they're running a crawl across the screen. The University of Louisville has fired Bobby Petrino as the head coach on Sunday morning at like 1030 in the morning when they're running the show. The crawl is just running constantly, like one sentence. Hey, the University of happens. Louisville has fired Bobby Petrino while they're showing the highlights of them being beaten 51 to 17 by Clemson or whoever in the game. That's another thing that you just made me think of. That's, that's an all timer. They're on run the show, but you still have something else to go. All right. So uh, with that in mind, by the way, thank you for finding us. We're here for the fights. We're ready to get into it. Make sure you're following or subscribing. We come off the weekend on fight freaks, unite the recap podcast. More and more of you are finding us. That is fantastic. By the way, I have a giveaway. We are going to give away the uh, George Cambosis, Devin Haney one fight poster because the month of July has now come and gone. We're now in a new month, the month of August. That giveaway coming a little later in the week. We're going to draw the name. We're going to put the name out there on social media. Thank you. And later this week, Dan has been leaving uh, breadcrumbs. We're going to have another giveaway for August. If you rate and review us, you're going to have a chance in August to win something else. We're bribing the peeps, Dan Rayfield. We're bribing the peeps. 
here on the show. I'm going, I'm going deep into the collection first. Some I nice. Lo- uh, I love this, and I love your for collection. this one. It's going to be good. People are going to love dig the this. Dan, the Dan Rayfield unofficial museum. So he's going in the collection. Something else cool to give away. So make sure you rate us or review us on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five star review. Take a screenshot. Tag Dan. Tag Big Fight Weekend. We'll see it. Someone at random will get this new gift that rated us and reviewed us. Thank you for doing it in June and July. But you folks are done for right now. We got to keep track of the people in August that have. But the people that didn't win, yeah, people that didn't win are still eligible. Well, I, I okay, if you say so. All right, you want anybody from the beginning of June? You're saying anybody from the beginning of June, July, and now into August. But but we especially want people to rate us and review us in August. Uh, to win this new item. So that'll be cool. Thank you for continuing to do that. We see you. There have been numerous ones of you in July that have done it. Kick it off here in August, and we'll reveal what the prize is later on in the week uh, here on the show. Let's get into it. Without further delay, let's begin with the main event where Danny Garcia returned for the first time in over a year and a half at the Barclays Center. We built this up. Junior middleweight fight, Jose Benavides Jr., who ain't exactly been active either, Dan, over the course of the last three or four years. Your thoughts on a Garcia tremendous performance where he was very aggressive, uh, scored many more of the important uh, punches and won the decision. What are your thoughts now that it's done and in the books? Well, I I thought that Danny fought a very good fight. It's like I wrote in my story post-fight. If you didn't know that this man had not fought for 19 months and was shaking off that kind of layoff and frankly having his first fight in a new weight division because, of course, he was moving from the welterweight division to the junior middleweight division for this fight, you would never know it. I had similar thoughts to myself when Errol Spence Jr. came back from his car crash to fight in his first fight against Danny Garcia. And he looked brilliant against Danny in that fight. He won, you know, it was somewhat competitive, but clearly Errol was the winner. And when you saw uh, the way that he performed coming off of that, uh, you know, long layoff and and, and certainly a a life-threatening situation with the car crash, uh, he wouldn't have known that he was out for any length of time. And I sort of had the same feeling when Danny was fighting against uh, Benavides. You wouldn't know that this guy had been off for, you know, 19 months and was changing weight divisions. I thought he looked, he looked fast with his hands. He threw a lot of combinations. His jab was on point. His distance was perfect. He hammered, hammered Benavides with body punches. Uh, according to the CompuBox statistics, it was the most body punches that Danny Garcia had ever landed in one of his professional fights. Wow. And I have to say, CompuBox, they may not have tracked every single Danny Garcia fight, but they sure as heck have tracked every single one of his, you know, top level title level 10 round type fights since he started. And obviously in those smaller fights, he didn't have enough time to land that many body shots in eight round fights and six round fights, that sort of thing. Um, you know, listen, he, he did a really good job. Uh, it's it's a, a way to shake off that rust, get back in the saddle. And I think he, listen, he sets himself up for some very intriguing fights in the junior middleweight division. Now, we all know with Charlo as the champion facing probably at least mandatories in his next two fights if he elects to stay in the division uh, and, and still wants to maintain the four belts, uh, there won't be an opportunity for Garcia to fight four titles. But there are plenty of names in that weight class that will make for attractive, entertaining fights where – he can put on good matches for the public and his opponent will be credible. And 
everybody will make some money and we'll see some nice fights. So he was calling out Keith Thurman for a rematch after the fight. I don't think Keith would have any problem fighting at 154 after which, the length of which, time. Which, by the way, can I interject? Yeah. I wouldn't mind that at all. And Thurman no. needs a fight and yeah. needs a credible opponent. I would not mind that at all, where the winner is kind of still in the nebulous title picture, 147 or 54. Sign, I mean, no, listen, that rematch, sign me up. That rematch would be outstanding. Their first match, of course, was a big time at Barclays Center to unify titles in the welterweight division. It was a horrific fight, really, really close. It could have gone either way. Uh, you know, Keith won the fight on a close decision. Uh, but Danny certainly fought a great fight that night also. Anyway, you know, Tony Harrison was there, former WBC champion, was saying he'd like to fight Garcia. Garcia didn't really seem too interested in that, but I think that's a doable, makeable PBC fight. Uh, Danny mentioned about uh, maybe going up uh, slightly over the junior middleweight limit to challenge Arislandi Lara for his second-tier middleweight belt, uh, you know, because Lara is obviously not going to have – you know, we all know the WBA ruling from a couple weeks ago where they told Gennady Golovkin that – if he elects to stay in the middleweight division or return to the middleweight division after the, the fight against Canelo in September, that his obligation will be to next fight the mandatory, which is Laura. But Laura, between now and the end of the year, should be available to get another fight in. And so if he wants to go that route, uh, I think that I think that's a, a doable fight that that Showtime could accommodate or maybe he winds up on a Fox pay-per-view or something like that. But anyway, the Look, the, the question was, what did you think about Garcia's performance? I thought he looked really good. He, you know, Benavides was not a world beater, never has been, never will be. Uh, but he's a credible professional fighter. And Danny Garcia made him look like a, you know, a, a, like a, a C-level fighter that he basically, a B-level fighter that he is. Except in the case of one judge, and you wrote about it, and you named him, and we love naming and shaming this, no matter who it is, this Walenska Roldan, no, no, no. Waleska Roldan, right, is the judge. That's that is question. a woman, a female judge, who right? has been judging at the top level of boxing for many years. And off the top of my head, I can't really think of particular fights that, uh, you know, that stand out anyway. Now, I could be wrong if somebody wants to go check that record more closely. But, you know, my impression of her as a judge has always been, Maybe not a superstar judge, but always a, a pretty good, credible, solid judge. And she had an atrocious night to score that fight, <laughs> one fourteen to one fourteen, which means you're giving Jose Benavides six out of the twelve rounds, and there was no screwy scoring because there was no point deductions, there was no uh, draw, you know, knockdowns or anything like that, or anything that would skew the score. She had it straight up a tied fight, which is preposterous. Mm. And to be honest with you, even the scores from uh, Glenn Feldman, who's a very good judge, 116, 112, and Tony Paolillo, 117 to 111. I thought Feldman was a little too generous. I mean, look, to me, that was an 11 1, 10 2 kind of fight. You want to go and, and give Tony the benefit of the doubt? Okay, 9 3. I thought Feldman at 8 4 is being awfully generous, but still, he got it right. Fair enough. And Walesker Dan at six to six is an atrocity Where's against the humanity. Six rounds that he did more than Garcia. There's not three there rounds. Isn't one. I mean, there's maybe three rounds where he did enough to win the round, but that's uh by the way, our and that's colleague being generous. TJ. I understand. Our colleague Jake Donovan did tweet this. I just went and looked while we're talking. Roldan also worked the Jeff Horn Manny Pacquiao title fight in Australia. Remind me, were you at that one? In Australia, I was you not were, at that. We're not at that one. She gave it to Horn 117 111. She had well, nine three in that one. Then let me let me recant yeah. my previous statement of that I can't think of a another bad decision because that's a fight that that's where sucked also. Yeah. Because Manny Pacquiao, uh, while not his greatest performance by any stretch of the imagination, 
he was robbed in that fight, in my uh, humble opinion. And uh, I am not the only one that believes that. Uh, my my uh, my longtime colleague and friend, Teddy Alice, I thought was going to have a stroke. Oh, night. he had an aneurysm on the air, and rightfully so. I thought Pacquiao won the fight kind of narrowly. That Not only did he did he not lose, he didn't lose 9-3 that night. And this one again. And just say one thing real quick, and then I promise we're going to move on here uh, to two other subjects on this. Uh, on this. Um, the accountability part of it. So does the New York commission come in here because it's not a title fight and, and say, please explain that, please explain that card to us before we, we take you <laughs> off some more important fights when you're giving Benavides three or four more rounds and you should have given him, how, what's the mechanism? How does that work? Well, certainly the commission and not just in New York, but any of the, the state commissions. I mean, they have uh, the judges have their bosses, so to speak, which are the executive directors. And then also, of course, the actual commissioners. Uh, but the executive director typically handles the day-to-day -day activities of the commission. In the case of New York, it's a woman named Kim Sumler, who's done a pretty good job. I know her a little bit, and she's always been uh, cordial to me um, and has been helpful at times. Um, whether they make that public or not, if they have a conversation with the judge, they don't, they don't go out and say so. Uh, there may be a private conversation within the confines of the officer on the phone or something like that. Um, you know, I know that in the case of fights that take place in Nevada, for example, uh, uh, especially on the bigger shows, the, the, the executive director and, uh, and members of the commission and people that work the event, they'll do, sometimes they do it literally in the arena. I've seen it many times in person when I'm packing up my, my, my laptop and all my stuff at ringside and, and have filed my article and I'm going to the press conference, you see them on the other side of the ring, they'll, they do like the debrief. And they go over whatever, if there was a controversy, if there was an issue or there was a question and they have that conversation that may last a little bit of time during the, the breakdown of the ring when they're still cleaning up the arena. Um, I, I do hope that the, the that New York at least has a conversation. I'm not even saying like there has to be a punishment, just at least try to find out what was in the judge's mind that made them decide that they could somehow picture Benavides winning six rounds in a fight where he didn't do anything uh, except stand there and, and pose for huge long stretches while Garcia is like not just throwing shots, but landing at a good high percentage to the body and to the head. And the other guy wasn't doing anything. So I'm just happy uh, that it didn't impact the result that Garcia rightly got uh, the win, which he so richly deserved, obviously. And he's back in action and there's, he's a, got a good name. He's got a good fan base. He's got a great resume. And he's got a lot of opportunities because of the other fighters that fight in that weight class, whether it's a Thurman or somebody else. You know, I was uh, I was thinking about other fighters in the weight class, whether it's uh, uh, Brian Castaño is there. Tony Harrison, as uh, I mentioned, had, had, was at ringside seeking a fight with him. Uh, if there was the prospect of a Lara fight uh, and, and those are not there's other guys in and around that, you know, in that weight class that he could certainly uh, make for an attractive matchup with. So then it look, it's good to see Danny Garcia back in business. Uh, you know, I think we're talking about what, his, you know, his comments after the fight about what he was going through during the night. Let's get into talk, it. Let's get into it. I was, it right real, I was now. real happy to see Danny's a nice. I know he gets a lot of grief. A lot of it's directed towards him because, you know, his father's a little bit of a nutty, a nutty kind of character and Angel Garcia. But uh, I've covered Danny Garcia's entire professional career. I find him to be a very, very likable guy. Uh, always comes to fight. Always in shape. Um, you know, you can you can quibble with certain fights he's had that maybe wasn't the best competition, but overall for a resume, he's fought superb competition for his career and he's been a worthy champion for, uh, you know, two weight classes and, you know, good for him. He's back in this back in the saddle. So we saw real tears. We saw a real moment where the emotion came out there in victory uh, with Jim Gray on the live interview on the Showtime PBC broadcast. Um, and and I, I think it's it's been readily apparent 
uh, now, especially emphasized over the last couple of years, mental health, mental health awareness. And here you had a former two division world championship fighter saying, you know, basically I have struggled. I've struggled with depression. I'm paraphrasing here. I needed to get my identity back. This has been tough. Um, I love that. I thought Jim Gray handled it very well with let him talk, let him talk and then bring his dad in here. Your dad's love because they know the stories in the background. His dad said the right things. You know, the, the love is the bond here. Forget about the rest. And he's made a bunch of money. It's not just about that. It's it's about uh, your own mental well-being and his identity as a fighter. All right. So those are my feelings. I, I enjoyed that. I didn't think it was too much. I, I thought that Jim Gray handled it well. I thought Danny Garcia handled it well because he was trying to catch himself a couple times. And he even said to Jim Gray, it's just all coming out right now. The emotion is just finally all coming out because I won the fight. Your thoughts, Dan, watching that? Because we don't see that in boxing all the time. No, that was that was honest to the core. That was not a that was nothing that was scripted. That was nothing that was planned. That was just raw emotion from a man that had just gone through a tough fight. Not a, not a tough fight in the sense that he, he got beat up or he lost or anything, but you know, it's it's that kind of fight that he just went through. It, it, in watching it, it felt to me like for the boxer was more mentally draining for Danny than physically uh, draining because you have to always be paying attention and you always got to be concerned about what's coming back and and just navigating your way through the twelve rounds. And he finally, I felt like he could finally exhale when it was over. And then we find out that he had all these mental struggles during his sabbatical for 19 months. Um, and it was good to like, you know, it was like a cleansing, like a catharsis. And I'm tell, let me tell you, you know, Jim Gray gets a lot of grief from a lot of people sometimes uh, about his interviewing style and some of the, some of the ways he goes. But I think Jim Gray is as first class an interviewer. He asked the, the right questions. Uh, you know, I've been friendly with Jim for a number of years. I actually, we had a, we, we exchanged several text messages uh, uh, after the fight on Saturday. I texted him. Uh, about it. I told him, I said, Jim, I thought you did a bet, you know, just, I basically was giving him props. I said, Jim, you know, you know, we, when we do this, we'll text each other uh, on a regular basis when mm -hmm. fights are going on. And I told him, I said, I thought you did a great job with the Garcia interview. Uh, and as you mentioned, he didn't try to interject himself. He, he asked the question respectfully when it, when it was obvious he needed to follow up, he let Danny speak and uh, you know, and, and, and give him the time. Assured him, this is okay. Yeah, exactly. Is, nobody's exactly. going to make fun of you right now. This is okay. Well, and Danny was funny also because at the end of his comments, he realized like you know he's a sloppy mess, crying like that. He's like you know I, I took this as an, an endearing comment that uh, Danny made, which is you know I hope I don't become a Michael Jordan meme, you know, with the crying <laughs> Jordan. Which and Jim the was like, look, the there's crying Jordan has I mean, been everywhere. And it's from the Hall of Fame when he went in the basketball yeah. Hall of Fame with the tears coming down his eyes, and then you stick Jordan's head on everybody Listen, that's supposed it, to be crying. Yes. TJ, what it does is, you know, it humanizes these people. Mm -hmm. People, I, I mean, I'm in a, in a situation where I know these guys, maybe not well, not best friends and stuff, but I've been in their presence. I've talked to them. I've been around them in private moments. And, you know, I can remember when Danny Garcia fought his first ever fight at Barclay Center, which was the main event of the very first show when he knocked out Eric Morales you know, being in that we were all in the same fight hotel in Brooklyn. And I remember being with him and his team and they were having like a pizza party and we were hanging out, you know, like, so, you know, I've seen those human moments from a lot of these athletes, but the wider audience, they don't see that so much. So this was a chance to realize, Hey, this is a real person with a real life outside of boxing with real emotions. And, you know, he was letting it all hang out and you know what? I'm glad for him. And, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, as Jim Gray said. Uh, and I think in, in our in our pandemic related world, it's it's an issue for a lot more people now, maybe than it was pre pandemic. And, you know, if there's somebody at home that was watching that show and and uh, and is having their own struggles and saw 
uh, the way that Danny handled it and the way he reacted, they may think to themselves, you know what, I, you know, I'm not alone and it's okay for me to have that type of feeling also if they want to cry or whatever. So good for Danny and, uh, you know, on to the next fight for him. I mean, I hope he's back before and, the end of this year and we'll see. And one more way to put that, it is, uh, it, it is something that is scary. I know people that have lost loved ones. I know people that have lost children. It is a scary, horrible thing. There is help out there. Check on your loved ones. Make sure that your loved ones, as much as you can tell, are okay from their mental well-being standpoint. And it is okay. Love on them. As my father taught me long ago, love on them. Love on them. And, and well, that's, that's what, what I saw. Uh, that's what I saw Angel doing there in that ring say, last yeah. night. Yep. At the time we're taping this, he was loving on him and saying, it is okay. Whatever it is, how bad you think it is, it's okay. If we can fix Whatever it is, we will get you help. I will help you. Sometimes that's that's the only encouragement that people need, exactly what you're saying. They see Danny Garcia. They see somebody like Kevin Love from the NBA saying, I had suicidal thoughts while we were trying to win an NBA world title in Cleveland. Are you kidding me? How can that be? Listen, but it really people happened. were People were mocking Ryan Garcia for yep. dealing with this very similar thing. Uh, and Ryan didn't deserve that. I mean, you know, I know he rubs some people the wrong way, you know, whatever, but he's also, he's a real person with real feelings and a family and children and, you know, give the guy a break. And I would say the same thing about Danny Garcia. Uh, you, you know, they, they just happen to handle their situation a little bit more publicly than a lot of people. And you know what? I applaud them. I'm glad that, that, you know, Tyson Fury, of course, the same way he was yes. very public about it. He got a claim from a lot of people. Uh, he helped a lot of people. And, you know, that's just three guys that we know about. That's that's not to say uh, there's there's plenty of other uh, boxers out there and other people in the fight game that, that may be having those same struggles that we don't know about. It. But, you know, in terms of Garcia, I think it was a win-win-win all the way around for him. He came out. He put on a good show for the fans. He, he fought a good fight for himself. He won. He kept himself relevant. He's moving on to bigger and better things, I hope. And, uh, you know, good for him. It's good to have Danny Garcia back in the saddle. Like all this, good to have Dan Rayfield back in a saddle on a Fight Freaks Unite recap. All right, you tried to warn me. You tried to tell me. I, th I really thought we would never see the bell for the seventh round of the co-feature fight with uh, Adam Kovnaski and uh, and Ali Aaron Demarezian. It did. It went the route. Um, and unfortunately for uh, Kovnaski, he just uh, he looked a lot like the Robert Hellenius fight. Looked really good. The first fight looked really good at the beginning. And then just seemed by the third or fourth round to not have gas anymore, taking punches. All right, that's my perception of this because, and I don't, I don't think we should take away from Aaron Demarezian um, because he fought very well and fought yes. a smart fight and took the fight over, and he deserves the credit for winning. But it was almost tough to watch uh, Kovnaski in front of all of his fans and adoring, you know, chanting public that he's just taken punishment in fight after fight and doesn't seem to be able to do anything about it anymore. That's my thoughts. I thought the, the decision was a just verdict. It was a, it was a decisive win, big win for uh, Aaron Demesian. Those are my thoughts. Dan, your thoughts watching that co-feature heavyweight fight. Yeah. Well, no, first and foremost, uh, you know, from, from my perspective as a, as a viewer and as a fan of boxing, it was a hell of a fight. Good scrap, good slugfest, good heavyweights. Uh, you know, we call a slobber knocker, uh, in terms of uh, Adam Konaski's performance, though, he looked fantastic in the first two rounds. Mm -hmm. And he just, he miscalculated his pace, in my opinion. It's kind of like, as, 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 a, as a former 
a reporter at a newspaper in Saratoga, New York, where the annual horse racing meet is going on as we speak. I grew an appreciation for horse racing over the years, mm-hmm. having grown up in that area and then worked there and lived, you know, a couple of blocks from the track where you could hear the bugle at post time out of my window from my apartment. <laughs> it's kind of like you see the horse gets out of the gate and they, they, they come up, you know, spitting dust at the end of the race because they just went too fast out of the gate and the, and the jockey didn't keep them under control to, so they had that late energy down the stretch. And it, it sort of made me think about that with the way that, that Adam was fighting because he was like that horse coming out of the gate and just went way too fast for that first furlong. And by the time they got to the home stretch, he didn't have anything left. And if you looked at the copy box stats, which I was not looking at during the fight, but when I examined the final statistics, when the fight was over, he threw like 129 punches in round one. He threw over a hundred punches in round two. And then you see his activity level go off a cliff. He was down in the sixties, mm-hmm. you know, and that sort of thing in, in other rounds in the fight. And he just didn't space it out a good, good enough. So when you look at the final statistics in the fight, you see that the copy box was somewhat comparable, but as I wrote in my piece, it was very skewed because most of not most, but a good percentage of his activity and landed punches were in those first two rounds that it, it made it look better over the course of the, of the rest of the fight in terms of the overall statistical breakdown. Um, so he was basically done, it seemed to me, after like two, three rounds, maybe four rounds where his activity level just went so far down the tubes. You know, he's a tough guy. He showed heart. He tried hard at the end. He was really going after a knockout in the last round. But Demarezin has uh, just had the one decision loss going in here, and that was to a big, big puncher in a jog. But we talked about this on the Bet US preview mm-hmm. uh, show on Friday. There was nothing in his background that would say that he couldn't take a good shot. He stood up to some very, very good punches from uh, uh, from Adam. And in the end, he just had more toughness and more steadiness. He may not have had uh, 129 uh, punch round where he landed like 50 or 60 punches, but he was steady from one to 10 and he got the job done. You know, the scores weren't blowouts. I think if I remember, it was 97-93 on two scorecards. That's seven rounds to three. And then one one card was six rounds to four. But if you give Adam the first two rounds, that shows you that the other guy basically took over down the rest of the fight. And so, um, you know, Demarezian's in business. And, you know, Kanaki is probably out of business. Okay, so let's talk about that point um, that as that fight went on, I was saying to myself, somebody needs to get in front of it here and say that is enough. Because if you watch again, what do I know? I don't take the punches for a living. You've covered it much more, but I've, I've watched the sport for so long. He looks to me like a shot fighter just from the standpoint of he can't get big stuff on his own punches. He can't get out of the way anymore. Once a fight progresses and gets hit a bunch, he well, got hit. Once I got to interject. Yeah. Adam's never been able to really get out of the I way understand. of the punches. You know? I understand. But when you can't throw them in return, at least, and get the other guy out of there or whatever, that's the that's the real concern. I, I bet if you looked, I'm just speculating, but it's educated speculation. He has probably taken four or 500 shots in the Areola fight, the two Hellenius fights, and that fight the other night. And I just was watching the seventh round, the eighth round of this fight Saturday going – this guy doesn't need to be taking any more head trauma over and over and over again. I mean, they set the all-time record or second, second, second most punches thrown 
in a CompuBox heavyweight fight. And CompuBox has been around mm -hmm. tracking fights for 37 years and has mm -hmm. done hundreds and hundreds of heavyweight fights, I would suspect, over that period of time. But you kept, Look, you kept Adam, watching his head snap back and snap yeah, no, back listen, and snap back as the fight. And I'm going, this is over and somebody needs to help him understand. We, you, I mean, 10 years from now, we still want you to be somewhat lucid and with it here. This is over. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Listen, this, TJ, this there was people in his own camp that really wanted him to retire after the second Hellenius fight, which was a, from a physical punishment point of view, was even more punishing than the first fight because he got beat up much worse. Because remember, in the first fight with Hellenius, he was kicking his ass early on. In the second fight, it wasn't really quite the same. And not only that, but he also had his orbit bone broken. And there were people that are close to him that were hoping he would retire or trying to convince him to retire after that fight. Okay, you want one more? You want another one? We, you know, he could. He made seven figures for that fight last night or Saturday night. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's that aspect of it also. Um, so he got that fight. Now he lost that fight in a different manner than the other two fights. You know, as I told uh, the, the the listeners, I think maybe we discussed it on the Bet US show also. The most optimistic Konaski person could have said, "Listen, Hellenius just had his number. It's a different story." You know, uh, Vernon Forrest had Shane Mosley's number. Winky Wright had Shane Mosley's number. You know, whoever you want to look at in terms of guys that may have been great fighters, but, you know, had had issues with other guys, you know, maybe some might say to a degree like Kenny Norton had Muhammad Ali's number a little bit because yep. he had a win over him and a controversial loss and that sort of thing, uh, you know, and those types of things. And so, you know, Adam, you know, he just can't deal with, for whatever reason, Hellenius' style. Well, Demarezian is a much different fighter uh, than Robert Hellenius is. And even though he didn't get knocked out, he clearly lost the fight. He got beat up. He got his... Uh, you know, he got a big cut uh, over around his eye that needed stitches after the fight. Uh, that's three losses in a row. Uh, no controversy in the defeats. Um, can't say that the stoppages were quick in the first loss, you know, the two losses to Robert Hellenius. 
And, uh, you know, Adam is not in his 20s. He's, uh, you know, 33 years old at this point or 34 years old or whatever. He's 33, and correct. 33. So, you know, it, it might be time to call it a day. He did say after the fight that he would, as every fighter does in this type of situation, I'm going to go and talk to my family about it. He's got young children and uh, he's made for a guy that's never even fought for a heavyweight title that was obviously fairly limited in terms of his overall abilities. He has made several million dollars over the last few years. So, uh, you know, I don't think he's a guy that's running around, you know, spending every dollar on a new car or a big, you know, piece of bling. You know, if he's even remotely intelligent with his money, uh, he should have a beautiful nest egg to last for a long time, uh, perhaps the rest of his life, hopefully. And uh, like you said, he's taken a tremendous amount of punishment. Uh, he did say in the ring he was hoping that, you know, and every fighter, no fighter wants to go out on a loss, that maybe they could get him a fight in, you know, another fight at home in, in Brooklyn uh, where he can go out on a win. They'll have to be really careful with the type of match. He's not going to command the million-dollar type of purse on a, on a Showtime-type platform if they match him pretty soft. But uh, I could see a scenario where, you know, sometime, you know, early next year, I doubt this year, but where he did come back and maybe have a farewell type fight in Brooklyn on one of those types of shows where they don't put him in too tough and uh, he can walk away with a victory. But, you know, who knows what's going to happen between now and then. Two more on this. Again, I just looked in the in the Hellenius second fight, October of last year, 2021. Hellenius landed 129 punches, according to CompuBox. 81 of them were power shots. I don't have it in front of me. I'll have to look real quick while we're talking. It, ha it had to be over the 10 rounds that he took another 100, maybe 150, maybe more shots, and probably half of that was power shots. I'm just concerned for his well-being yeah. at this point. Understood. Now, listen, on the, on the flip side of that, in, in the case of Demarezin, he's yep. now 17 and one. He's, yep. he's got that amateur background. He's won six fights in a row. He's now has a, a clear victory against Konaski. Uh, for what it's worth, he has a knockout victory against Gerald Washington, who is not a great fighter, but a, you know, a solid heavyweight who has great physical tools, uh, who's not usually been an easy out. And he did stop him also. And somebody suggested to me on, uh, on my social media, you know, hey, what do you think? Would Demarezin would be like the perfect kind of opponent for Deontay Wilder in the comeback fight. And I was like, you know what? That's not a bad idea. He's coming off a very credible victory on Showtime. I like it. Um, it's it's not, I, I can't sit here and tell you that it's like, uh, like my first choice of like, oh my God, what a fantastic fight. But as comebacks go, if you're Deontay coming off of a very grueling physical and mental fight against Tyson Fury in fight number three that took place last fall, and you're coming back, um, that's not a bad matchup. I mean, and, and frankly, we've seen that Demarezin has a solid chin. We know the kind of punching power that Wilder has. If you watch uh, uh, him fight against Konaki, uh, Demarezin, you know he's not going to be in there trying to, you know, out-slick anybody and running around. He's going to be in front of the guy. I actually thought that was a pretty credible uh, type of fight. I don't know. I don't remember the person who gave it to me on Twitter, so I, I, would, I would love to mm -hmm. give him the credit. But uh, that that's pretty solid. I'm, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but it seemed like, He's with PBC. It, it actually was like a lot up. of lights went off in my up. head. I'm like, that's it a reasonable type of matchup. Up. And by and by the way, I was way off uh, to the less. He landed Demarezian 239 power punches, 239 in the 10 rounds, much more than the 80 that Hellenius power punches landed in the six rounds. And I told you that I could see a scenario wow. absolutely where that fight was going well beyond round six or seven as you thought it might you end were right you so, were right but it was a, listen it was a if you're not a konaki fan and you're just like want to see a good heavyweight fight 
that's a good like it's the kind of fight like if you're bored on a on a on a, on a rainy day you might want to watch it again. He was he was very entertaining for a lot of it. Demarezian was obviously better overall, mm-hmm. but you kept watching to see can he land a haymaker or something to turn it around in the seventh round, the eighth round. It just wasn't coming. By the time we got to the eighth round of the ninth round, it's like it's not coming. He doesn't. I, I have, have to it. say also, by the way, it's been, you know, I can't. It's, it's hard to think, at least in the last few years, of a fighter who's seen his career just so utterly crater so quickly. Remember, before the Robert Hellenius fight, where he was a big favorite, it was, it was maybe it hadn't been announced, but it was like, you know, written in like pencil anyway. He was going to fight Deontay Wilder for the WBC title. Now, Wilder ended up losing in the rematch against Tyson Fury. And obviously, we saw what happened with Hellenius against uh, right. uh, Bonassi, but he was the guy that was going to get the shot at some point against Wilder, as if he kept winning. I'm not saying it was the next fight, but he was definitely being lined up for that opportunity. That would have been a sellout type crowd in Brooklyn where he had a huge fan base where Wilder had established a fan base and had fought several title defenses. And so to go from being the, the, the next up in, in line for the heavyweight uh, title that, you know, the WBC belt that Wilder had to being knocked out twice, having a broken orbit bone coming back and losing, uh, you know, a clear decision like he did Saturday uh, to go from that height to three straight losses and basically your career is done. That's, that's a tough pill to swallow. It is. We'll see if he is done. And again, for Aaron Demesian, uh, Demerezian, uh, that's a huge win for him and sure gets, him a, gets him a bigger fight. Um, uh, and we'll, we'll see where that is later this year, early next year, and whom it is. I just against. wish Adam can ask you the best with whatever yeah. goes on. Because as I've said to you, you know, I know Adam a bit. Um, He's just a great guy. He's he's a funny guy. If he's a you, and guy. you may end up talking to him. If you talk to him, would your urging be what 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 business is it of ours? But you have a relationship with him to say, Adam, I don't have to see you get hit another hundred or hundred twenty you know, times. I, I, would, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. I've I been know, doing this but, too long. Where I don't. Here's what I do. In I, I have no problem saying my opinion if I'm writing a column or something like that. But if I'm discussing it with the boxer yeah. or his career or see him around. Like that's not my place to bring that up. Right. What I will do, and this is, and I have been asked this. I'm not going to get into the details, but if a fighter asks me my opinion privately, not an interview, I will tell them what I think, and I will be unvarnished exactly what I think. Um, but Without, I would never okay, bring. So this is that, great. I would never this bring is that great up. on the podcast. I love this. Without giving me the name, did you have a fighter in the last two or three years? ask you that and did the fighter take your advice on stopping do they ever take your advice on stopping if anybody gives it to them i'm just curious don't give me a name but did the fighter i, take I, your I would advice? say it hasn't probably been in the last couple of years because that would have been like uh it hasn't been since the pandemic let's say which is okay. sort of like in this nebulous sort of uh world we've all lived in but uh and i i won't say it's happened often but there's a couple of times where it has happened and uh, I honestly don't remember if the, if the fighter actually did call it a day or not. But, uh, you know, you just wish them the best that they that they go. And uh, by the way, it's not like I'm their counselor and they're no. only seeking advice for me. Right. Fighters will canvas, you know, maybe other reporters, maybe other people in the business, obviously their family, their manager, perhaps their promoter, perhaps, you know, another fighter or training partner, somebody that they're friends with within the, you know, who's also a boxer. Um, uh you know, if Adam called me up on the phone and said, no, that's, I can't, I'm not going to sit here and bullshit and say we have a close relationship. Right. We are, we have had a friendly relationship, you know, as I've known him. But if he called me up and he said, hey, Dan, what do you think I should do? 
I'd say, Adam, you made like a lot of money over the last few years, right? You, you got a beautiful family. You, you, you know, you own your property. You know, you don't have to get up and go to a day job, but you're not a dumb guy. You can do other things in business. And, you know, if you want to stay around in boxing, do other you know, what do you need to still get hit for? You know, you're not, it's not like you're 25 and you got your whole career ahead of you. You know, you're 33, not old, but not young in boxing uh, for all those punches you've taken. You might want to think about like, you know, let's call it a day. You got some other things you can do. Very good. You know, but right. that's, uh, that's the struggle that every fighter deals with. Sure. Every, there's well, never, yeah. you know, very rarely over? does a guy just walk away and be like, I'm done. I'm good. You know, there's when always the struggle. When is it over? I mean, let me just, and, and we got to move on, but let me just give you one example. This has been with people privately with Evander Holyfield for the last three or four years. I know people, I know people intimately involved. I know family members. I know others that are saying, Family members, children that are saying, Dad, you do not need to be in there taking shots to the head anymore. You have nothing to prove. Well, that's done finally, I think. We're done with that for good. Well, yes. And so yet he still was in the ring late last year, to your point, at 58 years of age with people privately going, you don't you do not need to continue to do this for the fear of, of what can happen. So just just thought I was he really that 58 up. at that point? Yeah, five eight, brother. Oh man, I don't think he was that. I think it was that old. Tore Bell for, and it looked it, and it was horrible. It was horrible that it was sanctioned in this state where I do this pod with you uh, in the Sunshine State that they sanctioned it and let him get in there, and it could have been much worse. Could have been much worse watching that. But anyway, we digress on that. We got one more thing to get to. We got a we got a controversy with the stoppage of the Gary Antoine Russell fight, and then we've got the controversy of Jake Paul and. Uh, Hasim Rahman Jr. and the fight being off. So plenty still here to cover. So Gary Antoine Russell wins. You and I both believed it was going to be a knockout. Controversy about the stoppage because it was a one shot, a right hook, kind of the top of the head on uh, on Rancis Bartholome. Um, and he got up wobbly. And then it, it suddenly the fight is stopped well, and his corner is going crazy. The so most important thoughts. thing, it cost me the over. It, it, well, I don't know that that's the most important thing to everybody, but it was important to you. Not to me, because that wasn't the over-under six and a half. I think, yes. So, yes, it was right at it. Cost it. me the over. Cost you the over on the BetUS show. Uh, I, I just had the knockout somehow, some way, some, some time. You had the knockout as well. So, it is waved off by the uh, referee, Shada Murta. Do I have that name right? Yes, sir. He, wa- he waves it off. All right, jump in here, because immediately everybody went too soon, too soon. Go ahead. I know that the old saying is, and it stands true, and this is just for life and boxing, always better to be stopped one punch too early than one punch too late. I, I stand by that. I live and die by that. You never want to see the guy take the extra shot. In that fight, it was un- a entirely un- – if you stop a fight because of that, why do you even have boxing? That's the type of knockdown it was. He got caught with a good shot, Bartholomew. He did get knocked down. He didn't even go down to his back. He was on his rear end. You know, he wasn't like face first. He wasn't like sprawled out on the canvas with his arms spread out. He wasn't unconscious. It wasn't like Tyson Fury, you know, against Deontay in the first fight in round 12, where his eyes are closed and he's not moving. And suddenly he's the undertaker. No, Bartelme got dropped to his ass. And, you know, he took a couple seconds to collect himself as he should. Um, He was coherent enough to easily beat the count. He got up. He was up at four. He was up at four. Yeah. yeah, it was. I didn't. I forget what exactly it was, but yes, it was early in the count. I got the feeling watching him that he, you know, it's because he started to walk away from the ref towards the ropes. That to, like, was the thing. His, like he's no, but he, buzzed, I think he was more kind of walked he, away and then walked back. Go ahead. 
but he seemed more pissed than like hurt. It was because as soon as Murda, uh, you know, called him to him and said, you know, are you okay? He looked right at him. He, and he, and he, uh, he responded, walked to him. He wasn't wobbling. He wasn't falling down. He wasn't holding on the ropes to try to steady himself. He took a step forward like he was supposed to. Murdoch took a, like, a beat of one, two, was looking at him, and then just inexplic- inexplicably stopped the fight. And again, again, you don't want to see a guy take an extra punch for no reason, but that was not a fight that should have been stopped at that moment in time. It had been a competitive fight up to that point, mm-hmm. even though uh, Gary Antoine was uh, head on on the three scorecards. Um, it had been a good fight from the entertainment point of view. And listen, <laughs> let's keep it real here, TJ, like we do. Aransas Bartholomew has been in some rancid fights. Okay, he's been in some horrible, boring fights, but that mm-hmm. was not one of them. That was a very he was crowd firing pleasing. back. He was and by the way, back. he was testing. I mean, we all thought Gary was going to win, but he was testing Gary Russell's medal like he's never been tested in his entire professional career thus far. Uh, and so credit to Gary, he was getting through the issues. And if you notice, when they did the interview with Gary after the fight on Showtime, when Jim Gray was speaking to him, his eyes were a little puffy, he had some swelling, and you know he got touched up quite a bit in that fight, more than I've seen uh, Gary Antoine in his previous fights. So that was by no means uh, an easy night at the office. But this stoppage was terrible because that has a serious, serious impact on, on Rancis Bartholomew's career. He's no spring chicken. It's hard to get those types of fights for that kind of guy. Does not particularly a big fan base. And I'm not saying he was going to win the fight. I do happen to agree with Gary Antoine Russell who said, you know, uh, you know, he thought that the fight, he was going to stop him anyway at some point, which he probably was. Now he's 16 and 0 with 16 knockouts and one of the best young fighters in boxing. Uh, you know, but I, it, you know, my heart kind of bleeds for Bartholomew. I saw the way he reacted. It was an immediate reaction when the fight was stopped. There was no, uh, you know, usually when a guy doesn't complain, then you know the stoppage is okay. But he immediately, you know, was animated and, and upset about it. His trainer, Orlando Cuellar, who's been a longtime trainer, a good trainer for many years of lots of different fighters, he was right off the bat was upset about it. And it just shouldn't have happened. And again, similar to like the New York uh, uh, with the judging situation, the referees are not made available to speak and answer questions from the media. You know, people can get on the media all they want, but our job uh, as a, as a, as what, you know, as a conduit, between the people in a certain positions and the public and to hold them to account is to ask the questions that the fans and everybody wants to know. And trust me, if I'm there and they make shot of murder available, you know, you don't have to go in there and be a, a jerk about it, but you ask them, you know, in a respectful manner, you know, what the hell were you thinking or what did you see or what did he but say? To my understanding, nobody was allowed to do that. Jim Gray no, was not allowed in the really ring and nobody thing. was. So here we go back to no accountability. Again. It's very rare. It's not, it's not unprecedented, but it's extremely rare that commissions will make the uh, the referees and the judges available to speak. Now, occasionally, depending on the situation, I've seen many, many times where they've been able to get a word with a referee, uh, you know, on a broadcast. Um, I have had the occasion over the years, once in a while, to have spoken to a referee after a fight if there's some sort of issue. I have, you know, even if it's been a couple of days later where I might have some phone numbers of referees and, you know, have uh, – not in their friends, but I have an acquaintance with them and, you know, uh, we, I know how to get a hold of them. Um, and, and, and most of them are accommodating, but, you know, and I'm not saying that, that Murdoch wouldn't have accepted uh, the, the uh, if he had been allowed to answer a few questions. I mean, it wasn't the most controversial stoppage of all time or anything like that, but it pissed me off and it shouldn't have happened the way it did. And I'd like to hear what his explanations, we heard from Gary Russell, what he thought about it. We heard from Orlando Cuellar, the trainer for Rancis Bartholomew, what he thought about it. We certainly heard from Bartholomew, but the guy that made the decision has not been made available 
to, to answer a few and basic questions. And by the way, this again, they want to do this again. So we'll talk about that in a second. Well, but I'll just Mur say it's just Murdoch in general. I've always felt, and again, I'm not friends with him, but I know him a little bit. I've met him through the years. I've been seen him, you know, in fight hotels or at the arena, said hello, you know, a couple of words of small talk, you know, whatever. And uh, my experience in, in watching him referee fights is generally speaking, he's a very good referee. New York has a good stable of referees, and he's one of those guys that does an excellent job most of the time. And that particular fight was not his best night, period. Well, and, uh, I, you know, I wonder, they want to do this again. Do we need to see it again? And I know the the Bartholomew uh, camp is right. We need to have a different referee. It needs to be much, you know, wipe the slate clean. It needs to be clear and above board if that is the case. Do I'll say this. we'll see it again or no? I don't know if we will see it again, but I will say with, with without there being a specific big fight down, you know, in his next fight for Gary Russell, it's not like, you know, this was an eliminator and he's due a title shot in his next fight. Uh I would have no problem and would fully embrace and support the notion that these guys do it again, because that was a shit stoppage. It shouldn't mm -hmm. have happened if you, you know, and, and I feel like this, not only did Rancis Bartholomew get done wrong by that stoppage. It also in some measure takes away from Gary Russell, because if he's going to get the knockout, let it be a real clean, serious, legitimate knockout. So, you know, people don't ever question that. Also, when you stop a fight too early like that, way too early, not only are you robbing the guy that loses of the opportunity to win the fight, but you, you rob the guy that wins an element of glory and credit that he would get if he does score a bonafide knockout. And that was not that on Saturday night. This was a man who got up in plenty of time from a knockdown, seemed perfectly fine, both as the ref was talking to him, after the fight. This was not Meldrick Taylor against Chavez, where right. you can argue whether whatever you think of that stoppage. He wasn't looking and responding properly to Richard Steele and the fight was stopped. This was not any of that. This was a man that responded, that was on his feet, that seemed coherent, that immediately was ticked off when it was over. And it should just not have been called the way that it was. And that's my feeling. And I hope they have a rematch. All right. Let's see if they do again, uh, a, a tremendous, you were, Hey, you, you got three hours worth of coverage and three fights that had intrigue for different reasons and controversy and et cetera. So you got your money's worth in the figurative and literal sense. If you invested your time in those three fights, Garcia Benavides, uh, Kovnaski against uh, Demarezin, and then also Gary Antoine Russell gets the knockout. Those were, those were reputable enough and we've covered them. Okay. So before the action in the ring ever began, as we alluded to at the beginning of the podcast here on Fight Freaks Unite, uh, as we come your way right off the weekend, the news broke that the fight is off for Jake Paul and Haseem Rahman. Now, look, as much as you tell me so on this other stuff, did I not say to you on these podcasts, on these shows that we've been doing two weeks ago, I don't believe this man will get down to 200 pounds. Oh, you and said so, that, yeah. Okay, so now we find out that they were arguing over getting down to 205 pounds, but it was rather obvious he had no interest in getting below 215, which was which was what was out there. Haseem Rahman Jr. was not interested in getting below 215 and still trying to have the fight with Jake Paul. All right, so there's the crux of the controversy. The fight is well, called off. Give me, give me your reaction to this because I saw you react on social media and I saw Rockman Jr. react to your reaction, which I want to get to in a second. So give me your, uh, give me your reaction on the on the card being totally scrapped here and being off. Are you, are you that it's surprised? Yeah, go ahead. It's just, just, it's just. I mean, it's a surprise, not surprise. I mean, when when the main event of a of a card like that it falls out, yeah, it's not a surprise when the card gets canceled altogether. 
but it's disappointing for a lot of reasons. Number one, there's already been from a lot of people who spent a lot of time and energy and money to put this event on. So that's, you know, that's one thing. There's people who bought tickets for the fight. So you've now inconvenienced Showtime dramatically. You've inconvenienced Madison Square Garden, uh, where it's not the easiest place to get a Saturday night. Uh, now their building will stand empty. Uh, you have all these undercard fighters that are looking to make a living that don't make the kind of money that Jake Paul makes. That's right. Uh, that are that are counting on these types of uh, outings to to pay their bills. Whether it's Amanda Serrano, you know, she just made a seven figure payday in her fight with Katie Taylor, so she's not in the poorhouse. But she and her opponent have trained. They were expecting to go in there and, and get paid and do their business. And the same goes for the you know a kid like Brandon Lee who was supposed to be mm-hmm. in one of the televised fights. Uh, you know the other prospects and young guys that are on the show who aren't making huge amounts of money who also, money aside, want to be able to have the exposure that being on a Jake Paul televised uh, part of his pay-per-view brings to you as a boxer, uh, is, you know, especially a guy like Brandon Lee, who's one of the top young up-and-coming fighters and exciting fighters uh, in boxing. And so you have, you have a slew of boxers that have been training for the past, you know, a couple of months who are inconvenienced, who are out training expenses and all that. And you know what? Next Saturday night's going to come around and they're not getting paid. And, uh, and there's a lot of people that are inconvenienced by that. So that's, that's the main thing, number one. And number two, um, I've spent half my day like arguing with people on social. I, I should not do that. I mean, I was just so annoyed by the, with the stuff that they're saying because they're just so the, – the, the, the lack of intelligence by some people are just basic common sense. Is savages. Remarkable. You've been going back and forth with the savages, huh? So let me just break it down like this. Remember – uh, uh, Jake Paul was supposed to fight Tommy Fury. Mm-hmm. The sec- the first time he pulled out with a supposed injury, okay, they made the fight again. Jake's now, everybody's been bitching and money. When's Jake Paul going to fight an actual boxer? Because as we all know, it's well documented. The guy never had but one amateur fight. His first fight's against a social media guy. Second fight's against a retired NBA player and Nate Robinson. And the next couple of fights are against the MMA guys, Ben Askren, who comes over to boxing, he gets wiped out in the first round, and then two fights with Tyron Woodley, uh, and those are, you know, another, uh, him and Askren, both MMA fighters. So now people are like, ah, you know, Jake's just, it's all smoke and mirrors. When's he going to fight a real boxer? Say whatever you want. Tommy Fury's an actual boxer. He's like 8-0. He doesn't do another sport. He's not an MMA guy. He's not a movie star. You know, he's been on a TV reality show, but he's a boxer. And his half-brother's heavyweight champion of the world. There's some credibility there, right? He just won on Tyson Fury's undercard against Dillian White. So we're ready to go. They do uh, the big announcement. Now we're supposed to have the press conference. And by lo and behold, Tommy Fury suddenly cannot get on the airplane at Heathrow Airport to come to the United States to do the press conference because his paperwork is not in order. Uh, some people suspect that it's related to the travel bans by people that were associated with Daniel Kinahan uh, from MTK and the accused, you know, giant mafia boss, uh, you know, from Ireland who has been hiding out in Dubai, who was the advisor for his brother, Tyson Fury. Whatever the reason was, he couldn't come to America. Supposedly, according to Jake Paul's people, he just had to go back to the embassy and it would have been taken care of. And he didn't do that. And in the end, with time running out to mount a major pay-per-view promotion, they can't. They terminated the, the contract with Tommy Fury. So now we got to find another opponent. And if you're going to go on pay-per-view and you're not fighting like a fight that's going to pique the interest of the public, like say what you want. But him against Woodley, a known fighter in MMA, a good striker, is going to create, you know, some some sizzle to it and and get people talking. If you're going to be on pay-per-view, you need a, at least something right. to entice an people. An angle. Yeah. An angle. Exactly. And you know what? Hasim Rockman Jr. is an actual boxer, much more experienced than Tommy Fury, I might yes. add. 12 and 1, 100 and so amateur fights. 
by the way, his old man was the heavyweight champion of the world, legit, not a belt holder. A guy knocked out Lennox Lewis and was the man. It was brief, but he was the man and was around as a contender for a long time, won another belt later in his career. Point is, there was some element of sizzle to that fight, and he's also a much bigger guy. So they offer him the fight at 200 pounds, 10 pounds heavier, roughly, than Jake has ever fought at. He's a, you know, uh, in the in, before the cruiserweight limit was raised to 200 pounds many years ago, for the first number of years that the division existed, the weight limit was 190 pounds. Jake would have fit in perfect in terms of that weight limit. So they offer him at 200. Jake makes the accommodation to go up 10 more pounds. And then nobody holds a gun to Rockman's head and says, you got to sign this contract. That, you know, this is it. Whatever. He had every ability to say, you know, thank you. I can't make that weight or whatever other reasons he may give. They made. And again, I had a, a long back and forth with some direct messages uh, uh, earlier on Sunday with uh, with Jake Paul's trainer, which is BJ Flores, the former mm-hmm. cruiserweight and heavyweight. Uh, professional fighter uh and bj and i saw the video before and, and i also spoke to uh hasim rockman jr's promoter which is greg cohen um take it for what it's worth but both of them had the same story basically before they would agree to do the fight contract with rockman jr they made the jake paul people insisted that he send them a video of what he weighed just make sure he can make the weight now when, when Hasim Rockman Jr. fought his most recent fight on April 29th in Las Vegas, he got stopped in the fifth round by the Jamie McKenzie Morrison, the son of Tommy Morrison, the mm-hmm. late former heavyweight star. For that fight, he weighed 224 pounds. His fight before that, he weighed 215 pounds. Now, according to the video, and I can't, I can't swear in a stack of Bibles when that video was taken, but that's the video that, that BJ sent me. It's like, 20 seconds of him getting on the scale. He was clearly 200 and I couldn't tell exactly. He was either 216 or 217 on the scale. That way, you know, when they signed the fight. And this was roughly July, like fifth or sixth, roughly the first week in July, where he now has a month to get down to 200, much more safely, much more healthy. That was the point right. of it. Yes. Now, the com- now the part of the reason that this fight got canceled the way that it did is because the New York State Athletic Commission, which had its reservations knowing the type of weights that Hasim Rockman Jr. had been boxing at, as well as where Jake Paul had been boxing at, has been monitoring Hasim Rockman's progress to making weight. Similar to some degree, like the WBC, when they do championship fights, they require the boxers from their training camps to send them evidence, be it by a picture or whatever, a video, or maybe somebody actually will go there of where they are, uh, you know, 10 days before the weigh-in, 30 days, et cetera. Uh, and they have target weights that they need to be within a certain percentage of their body weight of what the, of what the weight limit will be for the fight. So if you're fighting, for example, uh, a welterweight fight, 147 pound championship fight, you can't be more than 10% above that X number of days out of the fight. Anyway, they don't want so you, the, for example, at 165, trying to lose 18 pounds in the last week to 10 days. Right. That's I don't, I can't remember the exact uh, cutoffs, right. but basically that's the point. So the New York commission, because this is not a championship fight, obviously, the New York commission was doing the similar kind of monitoring mm-hmm. of, of the weights for Hasim And we Rockman. should make clear, Rockman understood when he agreed to 100%. all of this, this was going to be the deal. You were going to be monitored. And here's right. the punchline. Go. Now. 
Not only that, but when they did the deal, again, no one forced them to sign this as an accommodation to the obvious size difference between Jake Paul and Hasim Rockman Jr. Part of it, and this is not like he's something special and he's the only guy that ever did this. This is not unprecedented by any stretch of the imagination. I've seen it a thousand times. They were going to contractually have a private weigh-in on the day of the fight at which he would not, neither fighter, Jake or Rockman Jr., could not weigh in excess of, I want to say, I, I wrote it in the original article. 210. I believe it was, 210. No, no, no. Are you sure? Yes. I thought it was 214. It was 210 at noon, and then he could weigh whatever he wanted. Now, they may have changed it to 214 in this recent negotiation. Whatever it was. Okay, right. so there was there was that rehydration clause. Point is, when the commission got the most recent results from Jake, I mean, from uh, from Rockman's weight check, they determined that for health reasons, they were not going to allow the fight to go through at 200 pounds. So therefore, they said the lowest that they would agree to was 205 pounds. Now, there's some difference of opinion. Greg Cohen, the, the promoter for, for uh, Rockman, told me it was 204 pounds. The MVP promotions people, which is Jake Paul's people, said it was 205, but I'm not going to quibble over one pound. The point was the commission, let's just use 205 as the number. You can't do the fight below 205. So at that point, Jake Paul now accommodates Rockman another five pounds. He's already gone up 10 pounds to, to give him 200, where he said he could make it. And by the way, I talked to, <laughs> I, I talked to, to his people a bunch of times. Oh yeah, he's going to make it. No problem. Okay. Anyway, 205 uh, is now the new weight. So he's given up the extra weight. And according to the MVP people and to Jake Paul, they're saying we're not going to get down below 215. That he'd only lost like one or two pounds since the weight check started. And they're now, telling them this Friday night. They're essentially yeah. the Rockmon camp saying, Saturday. Jake Paul's people Friday night and Saturday when the negotiations going on, we're going to fight you at 215 pounds, not at 200, no. much less 205. We're going to, we're going to come in at 215. Listen, here's what it comes down to. And I've got the text messages that show this. Greg Cohen is saying we'll fight him for free for no purse. I said to Greg in the, pre in, my, in our, in our text message exchange, this, this was on Sunday morning. I said, you, what, what kind of you're not going to let the kid fight for free that that's not that doesn't happen in boxing he says we'll fight him for free because he'll still make uh i think he said 10 times the money of what the purse was from the sponsorship deals that we lined up meaning stuff okay. on his trunks and whatever else whatever right. whatever it was but there was other uh streams of revenue that would go to team rockman that would come in besides just the purse that they negotiated uh, with uh, MVP promotions. So, okay, maybe that's, maybe that's a possibility. But still, I don't know any fighter that would just say, I'm not taking a purse. That's bullshit, first of all. Okay. But here's what, it, here's what it seems to me. We're trying to get over on you. Jake, you want to make us have a second day weight check and you want to screw around with us and all that kind of nonsense and, and suck us down. By the way, not the first A side to try to make a guy, you know, bring him down to, to, uh, to, to have some kind of thing in a contract that's going to, you know, go their way. It's, it's, it's not the first and it's not the last, but I just know that I could see Rockman showing up at the way and, and being two fifteen and be like, you know, either, either you let me do this and I'll gave, I'll pay my, you know, I'll pay my, uh, my fines in the contract, but you know, you won't have the balls to cancel the fight at the way. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? Jokes on you because Jake Paul who made $40 million last year and Hasim Rockman who probably didn't make six figures last year is the one that's going to be sitting out and, and not fighting. And that his name now is kind of mud in a sense in the business. And Jake will go find another opponent, have a big event on his own anyway. 
and the other guy's not going to fight. So he was like, we're not going to let you do that to us and screw around on the day before the fight. And so in my mind, better to cancel. If you know the guy's not going to make the weight, has no intention to make the weight, better to cancel it a week out and save everybody way more aggravation that would take place on the day of the way. Could you imagine all the fighters have now traveled mm -hmm. to New York, media's traveled to New York. Well, and by the way, that, this, only, this was that. a big okay. deal. Let me interject. The New York Times, TJ, hold on. The New York Times had inquired about three credentials to cover this event. The New York fucking Times <laughs> that doesn't cover boxing. Okay, but that's your point that you were making was that if this was Rockman's ultimate motive, and we can look, we don't have to be on the inside. Just look at what was going on and what we've been told publicly. If we know that he has only lost one pound in the last three weeks, he's not making any attempt to get anywhere near 205, much less 200. Their belief was we're going to spring this on you as late as possible. And you will not have the balls, as you said, the guts, whatever, to cancel this with all that's about to happen. And the New York Commission and Paul and his people called the bluff and said, we'll do it now. We'll, we will well, the, cancel the commission this wasn't really, right now. The we'll commission cancel. wasn't calling a bluff. They were saying, if you want to do the fight, now you have the to be no more than The commission was, was basically dispelling any intention that the Rockman camp had of we're going to get all the way to next Friday and then sort this out when he's 215 pounds. They were holding feet to the fire and saying, we're not waiting until next Friday. We're telling Jake Paul's camp right now, this joker's not getting anywhere near 200, much less 205, much less 200 pounds. You should deal with this right now. And now, they if, dealt with it. If this was a regular Showtime fight, they yeah. could have found a new opponent. It's, it's really, right. it's not fair to anybody to go try to find a new opponent for a pay-per-view you know, on, a, on essentially five, six days notice because the weigh-in would be on Friday. Right. And you know what? It, it makes me think uh, back to the, to the terrible things that 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 uh, that the inconveniences that people go through when fights get canceled so close to a fight, like if you were already in New York or it's the week of the fight or it's God, you know, forbid it's the day of the weigh-in. And I, and I was there in Caesar's Palace at the weigh-in when Diego Corrales uh, uh, was supposed to fight Jose Luis Castillo uh, for the third time, and the fight was canceled at the weigh-in because once again Castillo was overweight. And and I'll never forget this as long as I live. Going back to my room to write this, it had been chaotic. The fight got canceled. He was three and a half pounds over or whatever. And I'm walking across the the uh, the lobby of Caesar's Palace, which is the host hotel, to go back to my room to write my story. And I see these guys coming in the hotel who recognized me from being on television and this and that, who came over. It was young guys, probably like in their early 20s, super excited to be in Vegas for the weekend. You know, hey, man, what's up? How was the weigh-in? You know, we're so excited for the fight. You know, so I sat and I'm like, I, I didn't realize they were just arriving. I'm like, what do you, you didn't hear what happened? They're like, what do you mean? I said, well, the fight was just canceled at the weigh-in. They thought I was joking. I was like, uh, guys, listen, I'm really sorry to tell you, but I'm not joking. The card's still going to go on because the other card, you know, they're going to do the undercard, but the rest of the show was off. You'd have thought I called all their mom's dirty names and, you know, kicked their dog and like stole their girlfriends. These guys had spent money on plane tickets, had spent money for the hotel. They had traveled from British Columbia to Las Vegas for, uh, for the weekend and they had bought expensive fight tickets and you know what now the fight's off now i'm sure they still made the best of it being in vegas but you know what that's so unfair to do to people you know there was the chance that right. i remember when coda was fighting margarito at the rematch at madison square garden there was a chance that that fight was going to be canceled at the last minute because of margarito's uh uh, situation of being licensed by the commission because of his eye problem. And there was all kinds of issues there. Ultimately that fight went through, but you know, when those things happen the week or the days before a fight, it's just, 
it's so inconvenient for so many people, particularly the little guy that bought a ticket that might have traveled. And so better to cancel it on the Saturday before the fight than on the Friday before the fight. And to your point, they salvaged, for example, Manny Pacquiao on pay-per-view in what turned out to be his last fight with Jordanis Ugas because Errol Spence had an eye injury and 10 days out they discovered it. It was a pay-per-view, but they could slide Ugas, who was already supposed to be on the card, into the main event. So that one worked out. Here it wasn't I mean, look, work it, out. it wasn't. And, then, work and I can out. think there's another one that happened that was basically the opposite. There was a double header on which Lennox Lewis was supposed to defend the heavyweight title against Kirk Johnson and Vitaly Klitschko was supposed to defend, uh, not defend a title, but was supposed to be in action on the undercard in the co-feature on what was going to be a pay-per-view. And when Kirk Johnson, who was in the main event against Lennox, suffered an injury, uh, like a pectoral injury or something along those lines, and he dropped out of the fight, they took the fight off of pay-per-view. HBO uh, Sports Department went to the big bosses upstairs in corporate and got a special budget uh, of like literally like 10 million additional dollars to fund that fight. And they put... On two weeks' notice, 13 days, if I remember correctly, I was there in L.A., they put Klitschko versus Lennox Lewis, which turned out to be Lennox Lewis's last fight of his career and a valiant uh, effort from uh, Klitschko in the loss because of the cut. But they made that fight on very short notice and put it on live HBO. So, you know, sometimes it works out, but most of the time it doesn't. I mean, it worked out in the case of the Pacquiao-Ugas uh, fight being made, and it worked out for Lewis and Klitschko, but there's been plenty of times where it's uh, it's best up everything. And, uh you know, in term, I'm not trying to compare a Jake Paul, Hasim Rockman Jr. fight to the caliber of the matches we're talking about with, right. uh, you know, a welterweight championship fight like Pacquiao or the heavyweights. But, uh, you know, Rockman, uh, at the end of the day, he signed the contract. Amen. And he didn't live up to the contract. Amen. All right. So two more points on this. So he's and he got on my case about it. He got on your case and he called you Daniel. And I love this. He called you Daniel. So I have to ask on the Fight Freaks Unite podcast, does anybody, with the exception of your mother, a relative, your wife, maybe, who else calls you Daniel? Does anybody besides my I mean, my <laughs> my official name is in fact Daniel? Yes, I know obviously. That. My mother does not call me Daniel. Okay. My sister calls me Danny, which mm -hmm. is what I was called when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. um, a few of my friends from my, you know, when I was literally like, you know, a, a child who I still am, you know, friendly with still will call me Danny. The only person ever, ever, not my father, the only person who ever called me Daniel was my beloved late great grandmother, <laughs> who I, who I named my son after. Right. She was the one that could get away with calling me Daniel. So, uh, so in my case, I'm TJ, but I'm Thomas Nelson Reeves Jr. is my full name. Whenever I got the full name, Thomas Nelson Reeves Jr., I knew where I was the hell did J trouble. come from? The J is Junior at the oh, end because there's a senior. But if I got Thomas Jr. or Tom Jr., I was in trouble. I've always been TJ. <laughs> and when I saw the Daniel, I had to laugh and had to ask on the podcast who if it's so now you've answered on this. Can I ask you? He didn't more. make sense, though. He wasn't making well, sense. Well, he's in spin mode. He put the video out. The bottom line, we agree. We've covered it. He knew what the weight rules were. And this is not unlike when a lot of people go to buy a car or when you're trying to do, trying to do something in a negotiation, you know, to buy a house, to buy a car, and they come back, and the price is now a new price, and now we want to charge you a few thousand dollars more. Your $3,000 down has now got to be $7,000 down. That's not what we agreed to. That's right. not what we, and this is the same thing here with you agreed to be down to 200 pounds at the weigh-in or 205 was what the asking price was and you don't want to do it. But he's saying, why did they at least let me have the weight check at the weigh-in 
Why are they checking my weight? You know, because two, three the weeks whole, you, you know this answer, but I'm just answering in general. No, that's what he's doing the, it rhetorically. Like he's acting like he's an idiot. And by the way, the, Hasim Rockman Jr. is not an idiot. He's a smart the, person. The whole premise is the New York commission was saying, we don't want you to lose 10 or 15 pounds the week of the fight to try to make the 200 pound yeah. weight or the 205. That's the whole point of the checks. So we've covered that. All right. So two more things. Number one, I'm just, I'm just annoyed. Asking, he called me Daniel. Daniel. I know. But I say one more thing here again. Uh, I, who am I to advise all the Showtime people who we love and get along with and they help us out or whatever, but they got to take a look. I believe if not a serious look at, we should get away from the Jake Paul business. Just from this standpoint, they were able to salvage. We were talking about this just a minute ago in the conversation. They were able to salvage the December pay-per-view because they got Tyron Woodley on a week or two's notice to replace Tommy Fury the first time. They then had to sit back and go along with Jake Paul saying, yeah, Tommy Fury's going to be the opponent. They have that mess. Now they're trying to salvage it with Rockman. You have that mess. Showtime has this deal with PBC and has dozens of fighters and great fights to make. And this, to me, it's just maddening for them to continue to be around this. Let Jake Paul go do whatever he's doing somewhere else. I know you're shaking your head. I'm just saying, why do I get the feeling that if they go down the road with him again, there's going to be another opponent problem, which would be three times in a row that you're having to deal with the madness well, and the mayhem. Okay. Real quick. These are stuff. not these are not things that were Jake Paul's fault. He didn't get sick and pull out. In terms like of Tommy picking Fury did. the opponents and agreeing with the opponents, though, that's these were reasonable him. opponents. These yeah. were very reasonable opponents that fit the bill. Where there's some question whether Jake would win the fight or not. But there was credibility because they're actual boxers. Now, as he moves into a, another, say, section of his career. But if I'm Showtime, absolutely, I don't get out of the J. Call business. Do you want to know why, TJ? Because he generates money, M-O-N-E-Y. And it's nothing to do with their live schedule of PBC events. They put on a great schedule with those events. And Jake Paul is uh, appeals to a different category of fan. It's more mainstream in many regards. And so it's just part of that menu of boxing. It's on pay-per-view, so you don't have to buy it if you don't want it. And so it's obviously worth it for them because he is a money generator for their network and exposure generator. And by the way, the money is, and frankly, in, in large measure on pay-per-views, often is secondary because they reap a, a, a distribution fee. But it's really they get to have the, the the rights to be associated with that brand. And Jake has a popular brand and that's a big part of it. That was always the way it's been, whether they were doing Mike Tyson pay-per-views or Julio Cesar Chavez pay-per-views or when HBO was doing its big mega pay-per-views, <clears throat> the amount of money that those networks make is, is really not the biggest part of that. So no, absolutely. If I'm, if I'm Showtime, if I'm Steven Espinoza who runs Showtime sports uh, until there's a reason not to, I'm in the Jake Paul business and I have my other, schedule that I can do of other top quality championship boxing matches to the side. And by the way, doing Jake Paul events gives them a way to continue to help market and promote and build up a Serrano to do the same with a young guy like Brandon Lee, who has got a big no, future. Who they've been. I totally get that. That's a valid point. I totally so, get You know, look, they did I'm it with Montana Love. They did it, you know, he ended up going over to Eddie Hearn and natural boxing, but you know, they've been helping develop some of these other fighters on these cards. So Daniel Dubois know, came to the United States and followed yes, the undercard and the relationship Absolutely. they have there with Frank Warren. Uh, with so the that, bottom line is if I'm that. Showtime, I'm staying in this business until there's a reason not the to. The only thing I'm saying, somewhat joking with you, is we sit here and release this podcast <clears> on the first day of August on Monday the first as we as we kick it out there. If we come back around to another Jake Paul pay-per-view where the fighter backs out and the whole thing 
uh, blows up again and you're scrambling for a fighter again, that will be three times in a row. Burn me once, burn me twice, burn me three times. And the kid is just saying, I still like to think of myself as a kid. You, you don't have to be part of this circus that continues to go on. I get your points. If you're showtime, we'll see. We'll see if they choose to do it. All I'm saying is if it blows up again, I'm calling it in advance here. You didn't have to go down the road again. And I don't know who else. Okay, one more. I promise we got to go. Who else is going to clamor to get in bed with him on making it a pay-per-view too? a big entity when they're seeing what goes on with his pay-per-views right now. If, there, if there's any, any company out there thinks they can make money, we'll do it. And by All the right. way, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. It's not Jake Paul's fault. He didn't, the, he's not the one that had his paperwork. In screwed terms up. of picking the opponents, because he went back to Tommy Fury again after there were problems before. And then this no. whole thing with Rockman, was it not an inside job to a degree? Cause he had been the sparring partner and they thought he could get him to, to agree. Go ahead. Well, he's not the first guy to ever fight a guy that he sparred with. Number one, number two, uh, showtime. I must, I believe, I can't say this a hundred percent, but my experience tells me that before showtime goes and puts on a Tommy Fury, uh, Jake Paul fight, whether it's against Tommy Fury or Tyron Woodley or Hasim Rockman Jr. They have some element of approval rights. In other words, if they're going to spend time, money, dollars, marketing, uh, their, 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 their street cred, if you will, their name, their brand by backing the event, they have some say so in who Jake Paul totally, fights. Totally understand. So Showtime, I believe, signed off on Tommy Fury both times, signed off on Tyron Woodley uh, when, both times, signed off on the Hasim Rockman situation. And, and it didn't work out. And again, I don't blame Showtime. I don't blame Jake Paul. Um, what I do, what I did find rather weird, and we can make wrap it up when we're done with what, what I have to say here. Like you said, they were airing the all access episode as 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 the fight was being canceled. The Showtime broadcast of the three hour and seventeen minute broadcast that they did Saturday night with the three fights, never one time mm-hmm. in the three hours and seventeen minutes did they ever mention that the fight was off after having just done essentially. A, a pay-per-view Barker show uh, on the all access. And they always run billboards advertising the upcoming fights. He had a thought somewhere along the line, some producer or Espinosa or somebody would have said to uh, and Brian Custer, an outstanding broadcaster who's not, uh, it's not an alien concept of breaking news, given his role as an anchor on sports center to take, I don't know, a minute, 30 seconds. Hey, by the way, just as we were coming on the air tonight, uh, we got word that Hasim Rockman was having some weight issues, and for lots of reasons that we won't get into the nitty gritty. Unfortunately, we've had to, you know, cancel the Jake Paul Hasim Rockman Jr. pay per view, and we hope that we have Jake back in the ring with a, another uh, pay per view down the road. In the meantime, we got a great card for you tonight. Let's get to it, and then you've handled it. I think there's two things there. I agree with you on the news element, but I think there's two things in play there. The first one is they did not want to upstage what they were doing. I get that you could do it in, in, in 60 seconds. Maybe. By the way, they could have done it between fights. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying start the show. Absolutely. So there's 30 seconds after the Bartholomew fight before the co-feature, you know, they had plenty of time to to do other stuff. Not saying you couldn't. So that's the first thing. And I think the second thing, what it says to me from the cheap seats, not with any knowledge on this, they were pissed off last night that all of this is called off they're embarrassed that they're running an all-access show and it's being called off while the all-access show is on and so it's almost like ignore that ignore that and let's broadcast our three fights which is fine i I felt like that that, decision that's 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 irresponsible and it's frankly it's disrespectful to your audience 
There's we're opinions. big, we're big, we're big boys. We're adults. I'm with you. We can handle the news that the fight's off, no problem. But don't don't try to hide it. Like, oh, oh, we just spent 30 minutes of a preview show. We we just did. We just announced it on the YouTube stream, which was True. obviously not being watched by the numbers of people that are watching the main card because I did uh, briefly mention it when it first happened. Uh, you know, a half an hour earlier uh, during the YouTube uh, broadcast of the preliminaries. I listen again, Showtime, they do a great job. I have respect for the guys that work over there and the gals that work over there. I've known a lot of them for many, many years. They do a hell of a job. I just thought, you know what? When your big pay-per-view event that you've been promoting and pimping for the last month gets canceled, just tell us and just move on. All right. Uh, They have moved on. They have a void now for next week, and then they'll be back on the 20th. And then, hey, uh, let's get the Errol Spence, Terrence Crawford thing done, and they can trump that. They can trumpet that every which direction if it ends up being a Showtime pay-per-view or not. We'll see if it is. There's some some belief that it will end up being one of the final Fox pay-per-views with PBC and Fox. I wouldn't be so sure about that. Well, I don't know. And, and we'll look forward to your reporting on that. But something well, we have ob- at least there may not be Jake Paul against Hasim Rock, but you know what? We got Michael Conlon back in action next week That's on right. ESPN Plus against Miguel Mariaga. We got uh, Virgil, Virgil Ortiz, Ortiz. Jr. Yep. against Michael McKinson headlining on the zone card. So we do have some action next week that we'll definitely be uh, looking forward to. We are we are anxious to do all of that. For now, though, we will wrap it up on Fight Freaks Unite. Reminder, follow or subscribe on this podcast feed here on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. As uh, we recap, coming off the weekend, we'll preview this Friday. uh, The action coming, as Dan mentioned, also read the site on BigFightWeekend.com. Rate and review the podcast. Dan will reveal later in the week what the gift is, uh, a fun, random gift. Somebody that has rated us and reviewed us on Apple Podcasts will get a chance to get it. We'll reveal that later in the week. Stand by for that, but go ahead and get the rates rates and the reviews uh, going. Now we've covered it all with the Showtime triple header in the the ring, the controversy outside the ring, and much more. Be well, my friend. Talk to you later in the week. Yes, sir. Talk to you later. Congrats also to Dan, by the way. Three correct picks on the BetUS Friday Boxing Show. You can find that Fridays at 1 through BetUS TV and their YouTube channel as well. We'll be back on there this Friday with a preview as well. For now, I'm TJ Reeves. Thank you for being with us off the weekend on Fight Freaks Unite. Bye.